Welcome to What the Fun Podcast with Kimmy, Kisa, and Renee. Glad you can join us as we explore all aspects of entertainment and current events with industry professionals, friends, and us. Welcome. Hey guys, here we are, episode 23, 23, and going strong. Oh my gosh. The world is opening up. That's the latest. Beginning when? June 15th, I believe. Yeah, here in California, Mm -hmm. June 15th. California, June 15th. I mean, the world is pretty much old. California has opened up. Um, A lot of indoor dining theaters coming back up. I've received some notification to some of the theaters that I, um, you know, like to check out shows at. And um, it's great. I mean, a lot of them are opening up, though, um, in the fall. But it's really Mm -hmm. cool to see things happening again and i'm kind of excited to uh to uh, go out and about and uh enjoy things that i used to enjoy before the pandemic what are you ladies yeah. looking forward to i'm excited <laughs> for those theaters to open up i've been like on a really big like broadway documentary kick because I've, yes. I've been really wanting to go to new york and so i'm like really excited for some theaters to open back up And one of the shows that I had done a workshop on was supposed to play at, or supposed to be produced and play at the Douglas this past January, January 2021. But obviously that whole situation has got put on hold. So I would love to see that show get produced. That show is amazing. And I hope that the Douglas can still uh, put it out in its feet and in the public. Um, it's a really great show. So I'm excited to get some theater back up, open, maybe get some season tickets. Yes. I've already planned a trip to go visit my parents um, next month. So, you know, fully vaccinated and ready to go. <laughs> I've got one more shot to go. One more shot to go. But speaking of Broadway productions, did you guys see the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen, the movie musical? No, I've seen a lot for Dear for, for De- what is it uh, in the Heights? I've seen that one in the yeah, world. can't wait. And the um, West Side Story, West Side Story, yes, <laughs> can't stand that show. <laughs> I'm glad oh. you understood. <laughs> so did you started snapping. I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> Have you done theater if you don't even know what the snapping means? I know, right? <laughs> Do you not know what that show is, but you've worked in theater? It's exciting stuff. It's really cool, you know, seeing people go to the baseball games. It's like like the prime time, I feel like, to reopen because so many things happen and getting geared up for summertime and, you know, whatever the new seasons new Broadway season starting out in the fall. So it's just like a great time. Exciting. True, true. But yeah, it is exciting to see that things are opening. I mean, I love the fact that you can rent a movie theater for like yes, people, And yeah. it's not that expensive. Isn't it like like a hundred bucks or something? A hundred like bucks? Like, that's cheaper really? than taking your family. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely cheaper than paying for 20 people, like, their mm-hmm. movie tickets. Mm-hmm. Movie tickets are, like, 15 to $20. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, 100 bucks for 20 people, and you have the room to yourselves. Wow. 
That's nice. That is really nice. Dang. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, there's such good stuff opening up. I think it'll be good. I'm excited, you know, and definitely excited to see people. You have been home this entire time. This whole time. (laughs) So, and this weekend you actually get to see other folks. Yeah, but you know what though? Like, I gotta say, it just all feels like so exhausting. (laughs) It can be overwhelming. Absolutely. Ugh. I guess. (laughs) It's really cool to see life, though, because remember the start of the pandemic, and obviously people stayed home, so there were hardly people out and about. But when you go outside, they're everywhere. Yeah, people. I feel like it's like reconditioning your body to like be social. Exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think that's why it feels like work. Yes, that's why you're exhausted. Is because of seeing all those people. Right, and like I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm an introvert and then it's like but before like especially working at Disney when I was there that it's like you know we're around people all the time like even if we're not like out in the, talking yeah. to gas like you were talking to each other talking to our cast like there's people always talking mm-hmm. to you and it's like now I'm just like oh this feels like work because like I literally just talked to Sean and like my dog and that's it so I don't know what to do it is exhausting I mean I started what a month ago and my body was in shock like I think it was my body that was in shock more so than anything else the physical activity of having to walk was a lot and like day two I don't know how I made it Mm -hmm. to my car I thought I was going to pass out. And then my body went into shock the following day. Like every, I felt every muscle, every nerve, every bone. I felt everything in my body for like the first time in 15 months, if not ever. Like I never felt so. And then I didn't understand why I'm so exhausted. And yep. now, like before I could stay up to like two in the morning, no problem. Like I'd have to force myself to sleep. And, and now it's like, I stay up, but I'm like, mm-hmm. like an old lady just like nodding off. <laughs> I'm like, why? What's going on? It's like so tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I hear you. But, you know, going back to what we were saying about theater, you know, I mean, everyone that was furloughed and just mm-hmm. not doing anything are now back. You know, what show was actors, it? Fly Away production Is that the team. Show? Come, come from, from away. away. They had everybody was. I think they were the come, first show come, to yeah, go back to rehearsal at their theater, and mm-hmm. everybody was lined up on Broadway, just applauding them. That's such a great feeling. I can't wait for that. Oh, all the people, all the crews, so many talented mm-hmm. individuals returning to their craft. You know, from makeup artists to producers to production yes. managers to light ops choreographers uh choreographers crew, te- oh my god everyone dressed lighting designers everyone. everybody and stage managers and stage managers <laughs> <laughs> they get to say go again <laughs> 
places, places. And we talk today. We're going to talk to a, a stage manager who has done a lot. Not only stage managed, but taught and many things. I know him from mm -hmm. grad school. I went to grad school. He was an undergrad. And we'll talk about how we met. But Kisa, you know him as well. Yes, Michael Vitali. That's who we're bringing on our show today. <laughs> I met Michael because we worked together on a gig where I was uh, an ASM. And he was the production manager at the LA Phil. And he's awesome. I mean, he's moved out of like the world of like being a mm -hmm. stage manager. Now he is like a production manager. And now he's the director mm -hmm. of production at the LA Phil. So we're really excited to have him join us. So Kimmy, bring him on. Joining us today is an Actor Equity Association and American Guild of Musical Artists stage manager who has spent many years working in theater, dance, musical theater, special events, opera, and classical music with production companies across the performing arts spectrum in venues from the Hollywood Bowl to the Barbican Center in London. Alongside stage managing, he has spent as an adjunct professor teaching stage management at California State University Fullerton and Pomona College. In 2015, he took a full-time position with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, first as a production manager, and now as a director of production. He calls on the diversity of his theatrical experience to produce projects that combine disciplines in challenging and innovative ways. Michael holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Theater Production from Cal State Fullerton and Master of Fine Arts from UCI, UC Irvine, go Ant Eaters, and has written a book titled Introduction to the Art of the Stage. Please welcome to What the Fun Podcast, Michael Vitelli. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I told you to hold the Peters. Why not? I mean, we have, we have listeners from UCI, and so why not give them a shout out? They are Peters, right? They yeah, are. They, they are. Okay. See? <laughs> <laughs> I just never really heard that together. Go, Ant Eaters. <laughs> too much. Oh, oh, Michael. Hi. Oh, so nice to have you. So nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, so, so people know Michael and I go way back, um, way back. I think back to the very beginning of my career, to the very beginning of his career. So I was, uh, working on my MFA in stage management and costume design at Fullerton, <laughs> random. And, uh, I was working on one of the shows. I think it was the seagull mm -hmm. and I was approached by this young man at the time <laughs> this youngling still youthful yeah. still youthful, youthful thank you thank you Kimmy I, um, been, less uh, and less so with each passing day yes <laughs> <laughs> but this youngling who's very conservative and very very quiet but still had this confidence about him and came up to me and he said oh I've been told that I need to be your assistant stage manager <laughs> Michael, Michael, can I ask you this question? When you approached Renee, did she give you the Renee glare? Oh, of course she did. I mean, naturally. <laughs> and to be clear, I asked to be a stage. So I, when when that happened, I had not actually taken the stage management class, which was a prerequisite for doing uh -huh. for ASMing. And I had gone to uh, Deb Lockwood, who was our mentor at the time, and yes. said, "You know, can I do a thing?" And she said, "Yeah, go work with Renee on the Seagull." 
I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he came to me. He said, I've been told I'm going to be a Okay, <laughs> like, sure thing. I don't know. Let's go for it. And then you were you were you were uh, like in education, right? You wanted to teach theater. Yeah. Uh, well, I had so I had in gone theater. in as a performance major, but I wanted to do kind of everything. And so, like halfway mm-hmm. through my first semester, I changed to theater education because that um, that course of study gave me the opportunity to take classes in performance, in technical theater, and directing, and theater education, everything. And so it was like, the I ended up, I actually changed to theater ed simply because the course of study gave me the most flexibility and my hand mm-hmm. and gave me the opportunity to kind of have my hands in everything and mm-hmm. in certain classes that I would not have been permitted to take otherwise. And so that's how I ended up. With theater. I mean, I wanted to teach at some point, but that wasn't like my end goal. But yeah. And there you were. Being my you know. ASM. <laughs> Renee was the first stage manager I ever worked with. Yeah. And, how, and how was that? Tell it was great. It was amazing. It was great. I've adopted. <laughs> yes. I mean, I adopted so much, so much about Renee's style. I took on board and still to this day hold on to. So. And, and now look at you. You know, I mean, that's quite the accomplishment to be where you're at today. So, you know, I we are very impressed. I'm impressed. I mean. Thank you. It's gone to the point where it's. This experience, this journey has prompted you to write a book. So <laughs> tell us about, you know, your book on um, stage management. Like what prompted you to write that? Um, I So when I was in grad school, my thesis project, um, I was trying to figure out like, how do you do it? So my, my MFA is in stage management specifically. And we have to do a thesis project at the end of the three-year course. And I didn't know what a thesis in stage management looked like. You know, some people did papers and that seemed impractical to me. I, t- I tend mm-hmm. to, my viewpoint on stage management in general is that it's a, you learn by doing, you have to have your hands in it. You have to be boots on the ground and go. And so I um, decided because I, I, the reason I got an MFA was because I wanted to be able to teach at the university level at some point in my career. It happened quicker than I expected it to, but like I, I wanted to have that in my back pocket. And I, um, decided that the best way for me to do this thesis was to write a class because by the time I got to that point, I had done opera. I had worked with classical music. I had worked in dance. I had worked with film and TV people. And I realized that like I, my undergraduate training and stage management was very, very laser focused on theater and it had some dance components in it, but everything else was foreign to me. And even, you know, doing an opera and an undergrad didn't really translate into what it is to work for LA opera or work for the LA Phil doing an opera or whatever. And so I decided that I would write the class that I didn't get to take when I was an mm-hmm. undergrad and offer something to the undergraduate students at UCI that would fill the gaps. And my, the head of the program was very supportive. And so I wrote this class that was called careers and stage management. And it, I brought in a lot of people, uh, a lot of colleagues that I've worked with out and about to talk to the students. And we talked about all these different disciplines from theater specifically to opera, to dance, to theme parks, to cruises, to, you know, everything under the sun. And I, a former professor of mine from Cal State Fullerton that Renee will know, Jim Voles, Mm -hmm. um, who has a couple of books, uh, had said to me at the time, like, this would make a great book at some point. And I was like, great. Yeah. 
down the line at some point, maybe I'll turn this thing into a book. When you're and then, 60. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, all of this, let's be very clear. The teaching thing, the book, all of these things were like, in my brain, when I'm ready to be done working on stage and like I'm in my 50s and I want to slow down and whatever else, like that's when I'm going to do all this stuff. And then like a year later, Jim came to me and said, hey, I've been approached by Methuen Publishing, which is a Bloomsbury um, a subsidiary to write another book. And I don't really want to write another book, but I'm really interested in kind of curating and editing a series of intro texts. And I want the first one to be stage management and I'd like you to write it. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't mm-hmm. like, I, I, that, that kind of blindsided me. I was like, I just finished my graduate program. I, yes, I've done a bunch of stuff, but like, who am I to write a book on stage management? Like I'm still very early in my career. Um, I understand that I have a good concept for a book on stage management, but I was I was very leery about the whole thing. But I also, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but like I'm, I'm a great believer in just saying yes to things. That's kind of how my career has functioned is I just said yes to whatever crazy opportunity has come along. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said yes. And I was going to London anyways to do a show. And so I had to go meet with the guys at Bloomsbury um, to convince them that I was, you know, that it was a good idea to let a 20 six-year-old, I think I was 26 when this happened, to write a book. And they said, they met with me, they said yes. And so I wrote a book and now it's out there in the ether. (laughs) Yeah. So writing the book, what was, you know, you, you, what was the actual process for you? Like, I mean, not expecting to do it and just going back at the fact that you started writing it really when you started writing your thesis. And I remember writing my thesis and there were, there was blood, tears, sweat left all over that office that I worked in next door to the theater. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was just, that's where my cells kind of just landed and stayed. A lot of them are still missing. Um, so how, how was that process for you? Did you find excitement in it? Did you, did that reinvigorate your love for stage management and the reasons why you even went into it in the first place? Um, <laughs> it, there was, I mean, it was all blood, sweat and tears, a hundred percent. I, uh-huh. um, I, it just like, I thought, okay, I've got two years to do this thing. And I, of course, like as soon as I signed a contract, I started outlining and I started like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to interview all these people. I'm going to create little like outlines for each chapter. And it's going to be really methodical and systematic. And it makes total sense. And like everything that I had planned out made total sense for Michael, the freelance stage manager to be able to write this thing in his, in between projects and in his downtime and whatever else. And then I started working full-time for the LA Phil, which is a very intense environment and very busy. And mm-hmm. I just like n- had no time. And so I wrote, I think I had written one chapter in that first year and it was a chapter on opera and then nothing until the last four to six months of the late year before I turned in the actual final draft. Mm-hmm. And so, and I ended up writing the book and this is quintessential me because I'm a total procrastinator. I ended up writing the book while I was production managing three major projects at the Walt Disney Concert Hall simultaneously. Yeah. And I was literally getting home at like 10, 11, and then writing until one and then back in the concert hall at eight. And like, it was, it was rough, but I did it and I pushed through and I have to give a shout out to Kimberly Mitchell who basically wrote the chapters on theme parks and cruise ships. Those were her expertise. She was always mm-hmm. going to be deeply involved in that process. But um, I basically, I 
basically handed them over to her. She sent them back and I just adjusted some of the voice. So it was consistent with the rest of the book and that was it. But like, yeah, I, it was, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but it was my own fault. Like there was no reason for me to had to have to push the book through in those last like two months. And that's, but that's the nature, right? I mean, you have, like, I cannot work. I try, I try to be methodical about things and stuff like that, but I'm a procrastinator. And I don't know if that's just a stage management thing. You need to have your hands on everything until you feel that pressure and your brain is like actively working on 20 different things. Mm-hmm. That's the only time you enter flow. Totally. No, <laughs> you're, you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent. Like there is no universe where that book was going to happen in a time that made any kind of sense. It was, well, no. it had to be what I was under the most pressure possible. <laughs> and it's going to be, it was 10 times better than it ever would have been. Yeah. If I had written yeah. it, you know, not to say that it's good, just saying that it's 10 times better than it would have been. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you were as in a result it. of that. Yeah, exactly. You were in it. Like you yeah. said, like you, mm-hmm. you, you have to be in it to learn it. Stage management. That's what it is. The mm-hmm. leadership part of it, that kind of almost comes innate. Like you have to yeah. have that in you, but it's the, the skill set, the, the workings of it that you have to make that happen and test it out and see it. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to take it back. What I want to know is, what was it that felt right about stage management? I mean, what did you like about it? And how did you know that stage management was for you? When I say that I've taken on board and adopted a lot of what I learned from Renee and have held on to it, I mean it because Renee was actively teaching me what stage management was while we were doing it. And I was learning it in the trenches, which is, I think, the best way to learn it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I after I got into stage management is in in that way is that's when I realized like, okay, this is obviously what I'm good at doing. I'm good at zooming out and looking at a big picture and seeing where the holes are and kind of figuring out how the dominoes are going to fall and gaming out scenarios and then implementing them and, and trying to talk people out of doing things that they, that I know are going to (laughs) cause a problem and suggesting something else that like, will get the same result, but won't end up causing a whole bunch of havoc. And, you know, it's yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, everybody gets into it for different reasons. I Mine was just that I wanted to be a part of everything. And stage management gives you the ability to be a part of everything. You're the central hub and you get to talk to all of the parties. You get to get all of that information and you get to kind of organize the whole thing in a way that makes sense and kind of figure out the logistics of how to make it happen. And you get a bit of the creative, you get a bit of the technical, you get a bit of the elect- uh, the uh, logistic stuff, you get to deal with all of the parties. So like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And why I like I kind of settled into this place of like, this is fun for me. And this satisfies the stuff that I really want to do. And I was always the kid. When I was little, I was the kid that like was building Batmobiles out of refrigerator boxes and like, mm-hmm. were, like I needed all of the props. I wanted to create all like when I was playing, I was I was putting on a show even then and stage management just turned into like the ability to do what I had been doing when I was five, six, seven years old, but as a grown up and that's fun. So I think that's why a lot of people like a lot of stage managers like stage managing is they they like to have their hands in in every, mm-hmm. every facet, you know, like, mm-hmm. but not so much as like, oh, I'm a designer, I'm an actor, but it's like just a little touch, you know, you can like leave your, leave your marks there. But I mean, that's the best part about stage management. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got two stage managers, two other stage managers on the 
in the group, like you guys had to have come to it from a different way. I'm sure than I do, even though a lot of this probably resonates like what, no, that what was it. yeah, that was it. That was it. Renee, I have nothing to add. Yeah, nothing to add. <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> I love telling people what to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's that whole thing of everything you described. I'm 100% behind it. 110. Yeah. So part of the the work as a stage manager is that you gig a lot, right? You have mm-hmm. to work for your next thing. And when you said saying yes was a, the number one rule, that was how you were able to go from saying yes to, I'm going to become an, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do the ASM thing and then I'll move on to the next thing. And then you just kept saying yes and you just kept growing. Like you catapulted. Like it was, it was like, whoa, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, I left and it was like, that was what, maybe two years that we spent together. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you just, it just went to from ACTF to Irvine. They were, I mean, basically they scouted you and you just kept going and going and writing a book. And then now here you are at um, the Phil. So like, what was that like? Like how, how do you move, how do you move through your career that quickly And what was that secret sauce that made it happen? I mean, I always say that I got really, really lucky. I Mm -hmm. mean, I don't, I I wish I could say that, like, I I wish I could attribute it to something specific. I, at the end of the day, it does boil down to this whole saying yes thing. Mm -hmm. I think, I I mean, I don't, I, I honestly think I've maybe turned down two or three things in my career. And usually that was as a result of like, I, I had something else booked or whatever, like, I just said yes to everything. And by doing that, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of different people. Um, I attribute my career to like where I am now to Meredith Greenberg, who I met because I said yes to do, running ACTF when we did it at Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Meredith was doing, uh, she was running Next Steps. I was coordinating all of the labor staffing for the students for the festival. And so she needed support. She came to me. We met. We got to know each other a little bit. I saw her the next year at USITT. She's the stage manager, the production stage manager for the Bowl musicals. We chit-chatted at at USITT. I said, hey, can I shadow you this summer? She said, absolutely. I went and shadowed her at the Bowl. Three months later, she was asking me to ASM for her on the Bowl musical the following summer. I said yes to that. I was uh, you know, UCI came and, as you said, scouted me. They recruited me into the program because I was do, running a job fair for at for ACTF at Cal State Fullerton, and the head of the program was there, and he wanted to, he talked to me and wanted me to come in for an interview, and I said okay. It just it spiraled. I wish I could mm-hmm. say like catapulting is a good word for it, but like I I didn't expect it to go the way that it did. I just was given a lot of opportunities, and some of them, you know, I'm only really talking about the big ones, right? But like. There were things like a Bollywood dance school project at SCR. Like the only time I've ever worked at SCR was this rental that this Bollywood dance school was doing, was um, renting one of the spaces during the summer. And I said yes to that. Wasn't a great experience, Um, but like, you know, you take the good with the bad and, Mm -hmm. um, and you learn something each time you do it. For me, I always say that the best training I ever got as a stage manager was my very first job, which was working in a daycare. And working at the daycare taught me so much about how to just deal with people. 
And mm-hmm. that's my bet. And, and at the end of the day, that's what stage management boils down to. There's all the technical stuff. There's all the logistics stuff. But at the end of the day, you're really just engaging with people and trying mm-hmm. to make, trying to figure out what they're trying to do and get them to communicate that clearly. And then you taking that and communicating it to someone else to make mm-hmm. it happen. I think you hit on some good points here. I mean, saying yes is is really important. You're mm-hmm. you're not the first person to come on our show and and say that they have had the career that they've had because they've just accepted any offer and opportunity that has come across their way. But I think the second part to that, which you didn't say, but what I know about you from working with you is that you're very curious and you when you say yes, you're not just going in to just do a job. You know, you're Just going to in there. to learn mm-hmm. something, you're going into like ha- try to make an impact, to be helpful, you know, not just to collect a paycheck and go home. Yeah. That's certainly not how the fill runs um because yeah. they're it's very intense there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, and it's it which is like it's a really cool opportunity. You have to be like a very specific type of person to like really thrive in that kind of environment. And I think that's why a lot of people that we've had on our show have had such a successful career and why you have had such a successful career as well is just not, is saying yes to those opportunities, but also going the extra mile to really learn something and be helpful in that situation. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have all the answers, but you just want to be collaborative. Totally. I mean, you, you say yes to everything, but you also have to go in and do the job. Right. It's mm-hmm. not just accepting the job. You actually have to be willing to go in and do the job and do it to the best, you know, your best ability. And that's certainly the other part of it that you're talking about. Right. It's like mm-hmm. there has to be a reason why you're doing this. And and I think that that's true for everybody that works in the performing arts, not just stage managers and certainly not just me, that like there has to be you have to be passionate about it. It's not the kind of job that you can just go in for a paycheck. You know, it's not a desk mm-hmm. job. It's not. It requires way too much energy, way too much brain power, way too much heart to be able to do this successfully. And so you really can't just go in for like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, X number of dollars on this gig. And so I'm just going to do it, you know? So, Yeah, absolutely. Can you describe that environment of working in the field? We've said it, you know, a couple of times already, like it's a really intense environment. And it is because it's not just my my show that's in production. It's like five other shows that's in production and then an, an event and then this and then that. And everybody is working like crazy. So tell us about that. Can you describe just that experience? Yeah, definitely. So the LA Phil um, is obviously an orchestra, but it is the Los Angeles Philharmonic Association, the actual organization is much bigger than that. And it's mm-hmm. really a multidisciplinary producing and presenting organization. Like That's how I always frame it. Um, it, it. We are the resident company of the Walt Disney Concert Hall. We are the operators of the Hollywood Bowl and now the Ford Theater. And we are opening in uh, the summer, early fall, the Beckman Yola Center in Inglewood. Um, so by the end of this summer, we will have four fully operational venues that we are functioning in. So, you know, COVID aside, like in a normal year with the uh, addition of the Ford, we're looking at about 300, 350 shows per year with no off season. Um, and, you know, that's basically a show every day. Um, but it's really, but in practice, it's more like two or three shows happening simultaneously. 
So it is, it's a lot. It's very, very busy. Um, you have to be ready to multitask. Um, and we deal with a wide range of artists, um, from the musicians, the core orchestra, that is our, you know, resident musicians that are there all the time to visiting artists that are, you know, coming in to do shows like Kisa, the shows that you've worked on with us to, um, bands and, you know, rock bands and pop acts and things like that, that are coming into the bowl or the Ford, um, to our youth orchestra who have their own events that we're also involved in to, you know, so it's just, it's a lot, there's a lot going on all at the same time. And it's, and we also are running at a very high level. Like these venues are very visible. Um, and there's a, a level of quality associated with the work that we're doing that you can't shortcut. And you have to make sure that what's being put out in front of the audience is at its highest level. Yeah. I mean, I thought I knew intense theater from working in the theme parks. <laughs> and then I, then I went up to the bill and I was like, this is a new level. <laughs> well, it's also because it's, it's the, it's the quality stuff. It's the, the amount of stuff. And then it's also schedule because we do everything on a very, very short mm-hmm. timeline. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, most of these shows, like when you see like the bull musical is a good example, like something of that scale happens in two weeks. Like it, the first rehearsal with that cast is two weeks before opening night. And that's a lot to throw together. And we've had a number of artists come in and be like, it's impossible. It cannot be done. <laughs> Jerry Mitchell did that when we had, when he directed Hairspray. Susan Stroman did that when she directed Producers. Like, and it's like, it's, I mean, Chicago, when we did Chicago, it was a whole thing because they were like, we have never taught the Fosse choreography uh-huh. in this short of a timeline. And it has to be perfect. Right. That that show in particular is one of those that like it's so the minutia, the level of detail in those movements is so detail is so specific that like there were there, you know, everybody's nervous about like, can we make can we pull off? We do. We've done it, you know, year after year after year. And there are systems in place. We know what we're doing. And, you know, it's those timelines definitely freak people out on the first the first time they see a schedule. And there's a lot of reassuring them that it's like, trust us, like. I know that it's a lot and know it's crazy. We can do it. We've done it before. We'll do it again. And, you know, but, uh, but yes, the timeline, the timeline component, I think is the other layer that creates such an intense environment because you just don't have the kind of time that you think you should for projects that you're doing. But Trust. Trust. <laughs> so the pandemic hit the uh, performing arts world very heavily. How did, how did COVID hit you? Um, I mean, we, so the, we shut down, um, the same time everybody else did. It was all that same week, the week of March 12th or whatever. And so, um, we had school shows that were happening that week. Um, so it was, it was, it, we were starting to see the kind of dominoes fall as schools were starting to pull out of coming to the performances because LAUSD mm-hmm. was like weighing whether they can do this and, you know, whatever. And so, um, there was some initial pivoting. We all thought when we walked away that it's like, all right, we'll be gone for a couple of weeks and then we'll be back. No big deal. And then obviously it just dragged on and on and on. And then the cancellation of the 2020 bowl season was the thing that really kind of rocked the organization. Um, and that was, it was an emotional moment, I think for everybody. And it was also something that I think was an, it was an underline for the city of Los Angeles. Like when the bowl went away, and when that announcement rolled out, I think that was one of those things where everybody was like, oh, this like staple thing that everybody knows of the summer is gone now. And that was one of those like 
really kind of earthquake moments. Um, but then we had to pivot. I mean, it's we had to make it work, right? Like there's nothing we can do about this particular situation. So all we can do now is try and do the, do our work in a new way. Yeah. But what about you, Michael? So I like, like we've already mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. like working at the fill is super intense, but now you just stopped having to go up to LA. You were mm-hmm. able to, you know, stay at home. So how did you cope and how, like, what did, what things did you do to like keep your brain stimulated? You know, like, uh, I, I, you know, it, it was a journey. I think it was a journey for everybody. For me, like as someone who, as you say, is like kind of running a hundred miles an hour at all times, coming to a screeching halt was difficult. There was mm-hmm. definitely a processing moment of like me trying to fix the problem and being frustrated in the fact that I can't fix the problem. And it took me a good few months to kind of get out of that rhythm and just kind of accept the reality of the situation and accept mm-hmm. the fact that there's nothing I can do about this. Um, but at, initially it was like, I want to be a part of all of the conversations, but I'm not being allowed to be a part of the conversations. And I want to suggest this and I want to do that. And this is inefficient. And why aren't they listening and blah, 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 you know? And at some point you just, I had to, I had to let that go. And that, that moment didn't come really until the fall. Um, when I finally said, all right, I need to, this is no longer a healthy situation for me to be so focused on this. And I need to like start to emotionally distance myself from the work mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. order to, just be in a healthier place. And then there, you know, obviously just the anxieties um, of the last year beyond the pandemic and beyond what was happening at work from that just kind of ran through 2020. Like it was just compounded one thing after the next, after the next. So there were also just kind of the overall political and societal and everything that was happening, all of those anxieties, all of those frustrations, all of those, all of that stuff compounded. Mm-hmm. And at some point it got to the place where it's like I, work is just not the most important thing in the world right now. And I need to like, I, as someone who has defined themselves by their work, by work. Mm-hmm. you know, the, their entire life, I had to find a way to sever those ties mm-hmm. in some. And so I had to emotionally distance myself from the organization and from the work and do the job. And for the first time in my life, just do the work for a paycheck, basically, mm-hmm. um, like we were talking about, and not emotionally engage as heavily because it was just a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then... And so I did a lot of cooking. I'm not a baker, so I never did the banana bread. I never did the sourdough. Um, <laughs> I went through a pant, plant buying binge. Um, you can see one in the background. Yes. Um, I you know, and I promptly killed them all, um, with the exception <laughs> of like maybe four. Um, I never did. I converted part of my garage into a workout space and used it for a week. Um, <laughs> you know, I did a lot. Of, I built I, this this room that I'm in. My my second bedroom that is in uh, my office now had been a storage room for since I moved into my place like two years ago. And so I finally um, got all of that crap out of here. I cleaned my garage. I got rid of all kinds of, I transferred all of my stuff into plastic boxes and got rid of all the cardboard boxes. Like I did all those like practical things. Um, uh, I got an ice cream maker. That was the winter. That was like January. Like I needed, I, I had been cooking a lot. I subscribed to New York times cooking and I had been cooking up a storm. And then I was like tired of cooking. I needed something new. And it's like, Ooh, ice cream maker. So I started making my own ice cream. Yeah. Um, I, I also make my own ice cream. It's, it's the, best. the best. It's the best. Um, I started weighing, I, I spent a year weighing whether or not I wanted to get a dog or a cat and never did. Um, <laughs> 
it's good. I mean, <laughs> for, it's probably for, for the best. It's totally for the best. Well, and that, was, that was always the thing that held me up, right? I was like, at some point, I'm going to go back to my crazy schedule. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so 50-year-old Vitaly. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Where is he going to be? What is he going to do? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I, you know, we talked about- going to have gray hair and oh, still yeah. moving forward? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I I will say that I, you know, the pandemic for me, you know, I said the pandemic shifted perspectives for a lot of people. Uh For me, the pandemic made me realize that work is not everything and it shouldn't be. And, Uh you know, I had been, I historically been a super ambitious person and I like, I've hit a lot of benchmarks and this is not, this is not meant to sound egotistical at all, but I just hit a lot of the things that were on my bucket list professionally that I really wanted to do. I've done in a very short period of time. And so that was one of the other things that I've struggled with during the pandemic. You know, now I'm in this position, now I'm focused on what I'm doing. But like during the pandemic, when I had a lot of time to really sit and reflect, what it was like, what, what's, what next? I, what's next? I didn't yeah. know. I just didn't know. And I knew yeah. I was, you know, I was with the Phil. I never, I was never furloughed. You know, I, I was very lucky in that way. But like, I was looking ahead and being like, I don't know where I go. After yeah. This. In many ways, it just kept you present. So is that like the biggest lesson that you've learned just to stay present throughout this time? To stay present and to understand that self-care is an okay thing. And mm-hmm. and I have found like, I'll, like I'm, I'm working constantly, but like I got myself a new computer, like a personal computer. Cause I had been, I had an old Mac that I had had for eight or nine years that was slowing down and stuff. And I had been really reliant on my work laptop. Um, and so I decided to buy myself a new computer. So I got myself a new MacBook Air and just the shift from coming from this setup to sitting on my couch with the nanny on in the background with my MacBook Air, even though I'm working, I have my Outlook app open on there and I'm writing work emails. But psychologically, if I'm working on my personal computer on my couch with the TV on in the background until 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't feel like I'm working. Mm-hmm. It just feels mm-hmm. like I'm engaged in something. Like I would either be doing this or scrolling through Instagram on my phone. So I may as well exactly. be doing this and doing this alleviates the anxieties and issues I'm going to have to deal with tomorrow anyways. So it's easier for me to do this, but I do it in a way that feels separate. So if, even though I'm not shutting off, turning off the work thing, I, it feels like I am. So I'm kind of tricking myself into believing that I'm having some off hours. Um, but you know, and wine helps, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so Michael, as we wrap up, what final words of wisdom do you have to share with our listeners? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) you shared a lot. You shared a lot. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. I mean, I, I think it all goes back to the saying yes thing. I mean, that's the, that's really the baseline. That's the core. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Kisa, you um, framed it as curiosity. And I think that that's a great way to frame it. Like it's, if you, if you know that you enjoy something, like continue to ask the questions and dig a little deeper and figure out like, why are you enjoying it? And find, You know, like I can say for me personally, like the reason that I do what I do is for the audience. Like that's the part of it that like, why I enjoy the performing arts and why I continue coming back. And so the last year was hard because we didn't have an audience. And so the thing that was giving me that um, joy was gone. And it was all just the frustrations of the logistics and things like that. 
that I had to work with. But like knowing that we're going to have an audience tonight changes all of that. And mm-hmm. I, I do the work that I do because it's giving something to someone else. And I like to yeah. see their, the way in which they receive that work. And um, that was my own process to figure out why it is I do that. So I think asking questions and exploring and saying yes to projects so that you can continue to ask questions and exploring and never letting that cycle end is really kind of important in the work that we do. And I think just in life generally. Thank you, Michael. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Yay, Thanks for having Thank me. You. It was very fun. Woohoo, Michael. So fun to have you. Oh, by the way, 50 plus year Michael is going to be like on some tropical island sipping <laughs> I um, so. colada. I mean, come on now. You're going to leave your legacy behind with your protege. That's what yes. it is. Yes, yes. <laughs> writing your, like adapting your second book and maybe, yes. maybe writing a third at the same time. I'm no, like, no, on, no, not be- even a third. It's going to be his 10th book. 10th, 15th oh, sure. <laughs> I, you know, much as I would love to expand the book and fix some of the problems, I don't, I'm not anxious to write any more books. I gotta say. Like, <laughs> like, no. Something else, something else. <laughs> Run in the world. Who knows? Thank you, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Michael, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to get in contact with Michael on social media, you can contact him on Instagram at M-V-M Vitali. That's M-V-M Vitali. You can also find his social media handle on our Instagram page. Yes, and please be sure to subscribe to all of our podcast platforms so you can stay up to date on all of our latest shenanigans. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and write us a quick little review letting us know what you think about the podcast. We love hearing from you. We post new episodes of What the Fun Podcast every other Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.